All right, welcome back to Sue Your Take. It is Tuesday, February 13th. It is 9.49 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Brad, I opened the show a little bit different last last week, caught you and James a little off guard. Uh, James is not here tonight, by the way. James had a Mardi Gras function to attend. Uh, James will be back. I don't know when we're going to release the episode, but I believe we're going to record later this week. We have a special guest coming on the on next pod. Um, Brandon Zimmerman for the SEC from the SEC Network has agreed to join us for a podcast. We're going to talk all yes, things sir. NIL, transfer portal, uh, this Big Ten SEC alliance. Uh, we're going to get the information from somebody who knows a little bit more about this subject than we do and try to explain mm-hmm. to us all the chaos that's going on in college football. Uh, that may release Friday. It may release Monday. It depends on when we get the interview and when we publish it. But for right now, it's just me and Brad tonight. Uh, Super Bowl recap show. A lot to talk about. Um, Brad, I want to start with your, your betting on the Super Bowl because you made a, a lot of bets. The ones we, mm-hmm. we bet on the show were ridiculous. I think we lost 90% of them. Um, so whoever yeah, out I there. One out of five. But fortunately, okay, I, my, book, my book didn't have most of those available to, to take. <laughs> n- neither did mine. I went two out of five and ended up taking two completely different bets with my real money. Yeah. Um, which kind of went against each other. So I, I went one and one, which was good. I had Christian McCaffrey for yeah. MVP and I had chiefs plus two. And the reason I set up the bets like that, well, first off, I liked the value for each. I thought the chiefs right. were going to win the game, but also well, plus knew you're they getting had, plus money for both. So if you bet yeah. the same amount, you're going to make and a little dough. Yeah. The, the chiefs had the 27th ranked run defense. So I was like, all right, if the 49ers win, I think it's going to be McCaffrey, <clears> but long story short, the main reason I set up the bet like that was I wouldn't have to root for anything specific yeah. during the game. Right. I could just watch the game. And then like at the very, very end, I could be like, all right, what do I need here? But you, on the other hand. Well, one thing I got to interject. I thought about this after the fact. This is insane because you took the plus two, right? The Chiefs plus two. If they make that extra point, know. you win both. <laughs> I know. I know. I thought about that afterwards. I was like, no way. You would have, like, there was one one score you could have cashed both on because McCaffrey would have won the MVP. No question about it. And those are the yeah. two bets, just to clarify. I don't know if you said them. To the Chiefs plus two and McCaffrey to win the MVP with good odds. And if they win, if the Niners win by one, you win both bets. And I was like, I even joked, I made a little joke. I was kind of like making a crack at you before the guy was like, what do you expect the Niners to win by a point? <laughs> like, and, and sure enough, if they hit that extra point, Niners win that game by one point. Well, I liked the money line. I thought mm-hmm. the money line was a better play, but in the back of yeah. your head, you're just like, all right, well, plus two, there is an outside shot where you could oh, hit the yeah. perfect middle. Or you even um, you push and then you cash on McCaffrey, you know? So you gave for yourself sure. a chance. Yeah. But long story short, Brad and I are texting during the game and Brad did very well on his real bets. Yeah. But Brad needed some things to happen at the end of the game. And one of them was he had some unders in there, team total unders that he hit. Mm-hmm. He had mm-hmm. game unders that he hit and he had chiefs and, and maybe even something else. But we're on the last possession of the game and Brad is sitting there saying like, oh, I really don't want this game to go to double overtime. And I'm like, who, who doesn't want the Super Bowl <laughs> to go to double overtime? <laughs> but your yeah. wallet depended on it not going yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, too, because I was so confused, and we'll talk a little bit more about the overtime rules shortly, but when the Chiefs scored, so I had the under for that game at 47 and a half, 
And I was like, I'm done. If the Chiefs score a touchdown to win the game, which would help me win, I had a parlay for the Chiefs money line to win uh, with the 47 and a half. I was like, if the Chiefs win the game and score a touchdown, they're going to hit that 48 with the extra point. Little did I realize once they scored the touchdown, the game was over. Total hit at 47. I hit both bets. So uh, that was pretty cool. I mean, the people that were watching it with me could tell you, like, I was, it took me like a good 30 seconds to process that the game was over. <laughs> well, it took McCall Hardeman I know, three I know, seconds to process. Yeah. He had no yeah, idea he had no that idea. the game was over. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, let's just jump <clears throat> into it right now. Until Romo was telling people with 30 right. seconds left, no hey, question. the Chiefs are not calling a timeout. This is yeah. why they're not calling a timeout. I was flipping out during that. I had no until idea. Until he said that. I was like, what are they doing? Are they just settling for the field goal? Like, And the little yeah. did I know, they could go on and play another one. They were very – everything about it was, was explained wrong, including the referee at the beginning of overtime saying this is a brand-new game. It's not a brand-new game if it's sudden death. What is he talking about? You know, so I, I didn't understand the way they explained it. It was very confusing. But back to the bets, real quick, I did do very well. The only thing that let me down was Isaiah Pacheco, because um, I did like a long shot. I told told the listeners about long shot to win the MVP. Knew that wouldn't cash. Just just wanted to do it because it was twenty to one. Uh, but if he scores that first first touchdown and doesn't fumble the ball at the nine yard line and somehow gets in the end zone either on that play or the next or the one after. I hit the other thing that I had. I had a prop parlay for that and the Niners to score under two and a half touchdowns, and it would have paid seven fifty on a fifty. You, I mean, bet. you had some weird predictions that actually came out true. Like your <laughs> Super Bowl prediction, you said something like, "Guys, for those of you keeping score at home, that's five field goals." And I was like, yeah, "Who yeah. is talking about the Super Bowl predicting a lot of field goals and like an exact number?" And uh, it got to be a field goal fest at one point yeah. in that game. Yeah, no question about it. The Chiefs are just stingy. Like, you can move the ball, apparently. You know, obviously you can move the ball on them. But you get inside that 30-yard line, and they buckle down, and we saw a lot of that. And the Niners were kind of the same way. But, but yeah, the betting went real well. Hit the team total under for, for the Niners. I mean, it was it was a good night gambling. Let's just stay here. We're, we're already on yeah. it. I want to talk yeah. Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. We were going to give you a little bit – other takes about another event, but we'll do that at the end of the show. <clears throat> Let's stay on overtime real quick. What would your strategy be now that you know the rules and the situation? We kind of watched this play out with Josh Allen first Patrick Mahomes a few years ago, and Josh Allen never got to touch the football. Right. Kyle Shanahan with the Falcons, he never got to touch the football in the overtime against the Patriots when they lost. And now that those situations occurred. They have these new rules where each team's guaranteed a possession. And that's what I, I kind of get about the quarter going out as well, is that there could be a scenario where a team eats 14 and a half minutes off the clock the first time. And then the, the other team gets the ball back with 30 seconds. And you're like, wait a second, you're telling me I have to score with 30 seconds. But long story short, if you're Kyle Shanahan and you win the toss, are you taking the ball in that situation? No, but the one thing that I'm curious about is that I still don't know, and I was going to look it up, but I decided I would just let you explain it to me and see if you could. If the Niners hold the Chiefs to a field goal, they start the second period. It just picks up where it left off. It's just a, it's a quarter change. It's not a halftime change, right? It's not like the Niners get the second kickoff, right? No, no, you just flip sides of the field. Yeah. It's just, it's so just change it's, a quarter. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer then. You absolutely kick the ball. There's no, unless the only other thing I thought, and I don't quite remember off the top of my head, uh, what their fourth down scenario was, but 
if you take the, the ball Chiefs? first, the the Niners before they oh. kick the field goal in overtime. Um, if you take the ball, you better go four down. Like it's your four down territory. You need a touch. Like put a t- like if you're gonna score a touchdown, go score a touchdown, and and put the pressure on them. It's the only way I can imagine someone like Dan Campbell maybe doing something like that and but just the taking it out of the other team's hands. If you Otherwise, come up you short, the, you kick it. If you come up short on fourth down, though, then all the Chiefs need is a field goal, and you're like, absolutely. I'm really going to give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes needing a I mean, field goal to beat me? Yeah, you're absolutely gambling, but that still, the aggressiveness of that and the pressure you're applying to the other team makes more sense. I mean, they still have to go 70 yards to get the – or 40 yards to get a field goal or whatever the case may be, but – that's that makes more sense being aggressive like that than it does kicking than taking the kick. That didn't make any sense at all. And there was a lot of debate of whether they knew the rules. And now I saw today that Shanahan said that they had the the overtime plan in place well before the postseason started. That's what they were going to do if they arrived in that situation. I also saw a lot of debate about whether the players should have known the rules. If you're telling me every player on the field knows every rule and, and is dialed in on all that. Uh, I, I refuse to believe that. That didn't seem to weigh heavy for me at all. If Shanahan knows the rules, he's calling the shots, and that's all that matters. But he had that plan in place. He was always going to do that, he said. He, he, said his, he said his reasoning was that the 49ers mm. wanted the ball third. He wanted that sudden death mm. scenario. But in order to get the ball third, you have to result in the same score, whether 0-0, 3-3, or 7-7. Mm-hmm. And also, the Chiefs said that, hey – if they just scored a touchdown, we were going for two. We were not going to give them back the ball with a chance to have a field goal to beat us. We were going to keep Patrick Mahomes on the field, go for two, and live or die with that play call. The mm. analytics nerds who've run this scenario 100,000 times on their computers, they are out there defending Kyle Shanahan, saying it's not as obvious as you think. It actually is about 50-50 whether or not you take it first or take it second. But at the same time, I want to know how I'm calling the game, if I'm going forward on fourth down, how many points I need. I just want that security of going second. I just do. I mean, we saw the Chiefs convert a fourth down play on the final drive. I mean, they'd had to anyway. They were down by three. But right. I just want to know that. And I'd want that option to go for two if the other team did. If you score first – and you, you score a touchdown, I mean, <clears throat> how many coaches would actually have the cojones to go for two? Maybe one, to like, to make it difference between six and eight? Because even if you go for two and get it, the game's not over. You're giving the other team a chance there. Um, no question. But the one thing I will say, which I haven't heard many people talk about, that I will defend Kyle Shanahan with, even if the analytics say he was right regardless – is that the 49ers defense was just on the field and gave up a long drive to the Chiefs to get it mm. to overtime. Okay. I don't know if I really want to put my defense right back out there against Patrick Mahomes. Right. Um, so I understand that a little bit, but also never heard them say that as an excuse. That may have just been random. Um, but an interesting <laughs> scenario, we'd never seen it before. And, and uh, by the way, I will point out, because I did just double check, Back to the aggressiveness, and I know it sounds crazy, but again, to me, kicking it sounds crazier. They kicked that field goal from Kansas City's nine-yard line. It was fourth and four. I'm just saying, if you're going to be aggressive and take the ball, go get those four yards and score a touchdown, and then you have your fate in your hands versus having to try to stop Pat Mahomes to win the game. 
I get where you're coming from, but that Chiefs defense was awesome all day. Mm. They had just stopped you on third and four on your last play of the They converted a fourth and three when they needed it earlier in the game, though. But, yeah, I see – I mean, I, I And, look, and when you get close to the end zone, there's just way. not much space either. It's easier right. to play defense. That's just way, And four yards is a long way to go. Mm-hmm. I, I I think you kicked the field goal there. I got no problem with that. But I get where yeah. you're coming from, especially against the quarterback you're going against. Right. Um. But let's talk about some of the key plays in this game because there were a lot of them. There weren't a ton. I don't think there's any that maybe the final play of the game would have made our list from last week's episode, our top 21 plays of the 21st century. I mean, a walk-off to win the Super Bowl yeah. is pretty cool. But in it overtime. <laughs> it was not anywhere close to the biggest play of that game. So it would be hard for me to like give it that sort of ranking. But there were a lot of big plays, and I want to kind of go in order of when the plays occurred. The first one I'm going to name wasn't even a play, per se. Dre Dre Greenlaw tearing his Achilles, running running onto the field in the second quarter. The Niners were smothering the Chiefs' offense at that Mm -hmm. time. And when Dre Greenlaw left, Oren Burks came in the game and replaced him. And Oren Burks was targeted nine times in the game and gave up nine completions. The Chiefs picked on him throughout the entire second half. Their first touchdown to Valdez Scantling after the uh, botched punt was right at Oren Burks. He was out in no man's lands. Valdez Scantling ran right past him, and it was just an easy completion. And I just – in a game that goes to overtime, I think that two extra quarters of Dre Greenlaw – over a guy who gave up nine attempts for nine completions probably makes a difference in that game. I know we can't yeah. measure that in any way right. possible, but I just think a tie game going into overtime, like Dre Greenlaw is the difference maker there. No uh, question. But I mean, there's the significant side of it. And there's also, that might be the strangest injury I've ever seen in football. Him walking onto the field and tearing his Achilles like that. Martin Gramatica celebrating the field goal. That's definitely yeah, the strangest one I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, I could. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good but, one. But, but I don't know. I actually, actually, he was like exerted a quite a bit of energy jumping around. He there did. Was no athletic movement from Greenlaw. That thing was just ready to pop. Just well, ready I, to pop. I don't think that happens in another game. Like he was hyped, up, man. Drake yeah, Greenlaw was going too. crazy yeah. at the beginning yeah. of the game. And yeah. if you see the replay, he's like ready to take the field and kind of like just waiting and starting and stopping. Yeah. And then finally they give him the green light and he takes the field, and just goes straight to the ground. Oh, it's so bad, man. I hated that. Uh, the first real play that I think changed the game um, right after that was the one we just mentioned, the the botch punt late in the third quarter. Um, mm. Niners are leading 10 to six. Chiefs offense hadn't done anything. Mm. The Chiefs come out the second half. They look absolutely terrible. The first play of the second half, uh, Pacheco drops the pitch, and they lose 12 yards and get backed up. And then Mahomes throws an interception, and you're like, this offense Couldn't doesn't stand a time. chance. Yeah. It's horrible. And yeah. then San Francisco right. could not take advantage of it. San Francisco mm-hmm. comes out and runs eight pass plays in their first nine, has three and out after three and out after three and out. Yeah. And then finally the Chiefs punt to them, and that ball bounces off the guy's foot. And the punt returner smartly recognizes it, tries to jump on it, can't get it. And then one play later, the Chiefs have the lead, and you're like, holy cow, the 49ers should be up two scores. And now Patrick Mahomes has a lead late in the third quarter in the Super Bowl. Yeah, the only thing I'll add to that is I was, like, all over McLeod at first. Like, because I didn't see it touch the other guy's foot. 
Yeah. And it was actually turned out to be a pretty heads up play by him. I was like, what is he doing? And it turns out, I mean, he, he made a heads up play. He saw it hit his foot. He went for it. The only thing I'll add is, I mean, you, you got to dive on the ball. He tried to pick it up. That's like football 101. Dive on the football. Like, especially yeah. in that scenario. Um, and that just goes to show what happens when you try to pick it up, you know? And then the next biggest play, the next biggest game-changing play happened what I think was on the very next drive. 49ers answer right back. 12 plays, mm-hmm. 75 yards, just a big boy drive from Brock Birdie and that team. They take the lead 16-13, to 13, and Jake Moody hits – a line drive kick yeah, is all it was his low. fault. I'm not yeah. blaming the offensive line on that it was super at low. all. Yeah. It was a terrible kick. Yeah. It gets blocked, and now it's a three-point game instead of mm-hmm. a four-point game. And as we all know, the game eventually went to overtime. It was you a know, huge play. Oh, it was huge. And uh, honestly, special teams ended up being the difference in the game. If you look at those two plays, and it's funny because Romo called it earlier in the game. If you remember um, – What's the Chiefs punter's name? The guy with the long hair. It starts with a T. I can't remember his name now. But um, he he lays out. Uh, oh, it almost came to me. But anyway, sixty-one yard punt in that earlier in that game, and the guy running down the field just smashes the punt runner returner in the face. It was like a t- entirely flipped the field. And Romo said it. He said the the Chiefs have a significant special teams advantage in this game that could yeah. come into play. And sure enough, I mean, it was literally the difference. If they could get their special teams together, the, the Niners probably easily win that game in regulation. Yeah. Um, This play, man, I I love it so much. Steve Spagnuolo, it's third and four. The Chiefs elect not to call a timeout with like two minutes and 30 seconds left and let it drain all the way down to the two-minute warning. They've got two timeouts left. So it's third and four. The Niners are coming out of that. They're at what, like the 35-yard line, Mm -hmm. something like that. If they complete that, it's basically like, all right, we're going to run out the clock and kick a field goal with no time left on the clock to win the Super Bowl. And Spagnolo sends a house. He sends Trent yeah. McDuffie, his number one corner, just straight through the gap. And McDuffie gets there, bats the ball down, and uh, Moody comes on. I, I did not think Moody was going to make that kick at all. And he <laughs> drilled it. Nailed uh, it. And then gives the ball back to the Chiefs with, with just under two minutes left. But um, – I thought Steve Spagnuolo was awesome that game. He was incredible. The aggressiveness that they had, especially late in the game, was was pretty crucial. The other thing, you mentioned McDuffie. What a game for McDuffie. He was Guy's awesome. A stud. He was batting balls away in the end zone. He was batting balls away on third down. Massive game for McDuffie. Uh, Spagnolo had them in mm. cover zero or cover one on 62% of the snaps. Like, he, he trusted Legarius yeah. Sneed. He trusted yeah. Trent McDuffie. I mean, for for you to put your guys in that sort of position against Kittle and Ayuk and Debo, that is onions, man. Onions. Yeah, yeah. And, and speaking of Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo, you hold them to eight catches for 86 yards while holding Christian McCaffrey to 3.6 yards per carry. That is just a Mona Lisa of defensive coordinating yeah. i mean that was beautiful yeah no question and you mentioned sneed i actually kind of busted your balls during the game a little bit about it he kind of he got burnt a couple times once by you and once by someone else i can't remember who it was now but he got he got burnt he, a couple times he got, but he got burnt. kept kept trusting he, him and then he had that huge penalty on third yeah. down the 15 yard rough uh unnecessary roughness i texted you because you said he'd been the mvp i said i think he's making a case for least valuable player the next play 
he makes a huge def- uh he defends a pass and and makes a huge play and then from then on he was just steady as a rock I thought he was great. I, I mean, McGuffey yeah, was, was clearly the superstar back there, but I right. thought LeJarrius Sneed was great. Honestly, LeJarrius <clears throat> Sneed's two biggest mistakes in that game, it wasn't even what you what you just discussed. Mm. It was the 49ers at the very – on that third down in overtime, that third mm-hmm. and four, where Chris mm-hmm. Jones gets up the middle and prevents Brock Purdy from getting the first down. Well, Brock Purdy's got uh, a receiver out in the flat who just won, and then – Ayuk had beat Snead as well. So he's mm. got two guys right open there, and Chris Jones is able to get there in time. Save and the, the other time Chris Jones got there as well was on that pass that Purdy overthrew Debo in the end zone mm-hmm. in the third or fourth quarter. I can't remember. I believe it was the fourth. Uh, and, yeah, uh, Debo had beaten Snead, and mm-hmm. Purdy just can't get it to him because Chris Jones is right in his face. Chris Jones, man, that's – three plays in the in this postseason with the Josh Allen play uh, in the divisional round and then those two plays right there saving touchdowns. Mm-hmm. None of the three he got sacks on. Uh, I'm not even sure if those three count as quarterback hits and they all prevented touchdowns or at least a first down that would have probably eventually led to a touchdown. Chris Jones, mm-hmm. um, incredible. Six pressures on the night. Just a great game from him. Uh, that was actually my next play. Uh, mm-hmm. him just getting back there and preventing Jawan Jennings, who won on the outside, and Brandon Ayuk, who won against Snead, getting open. Um, and then after that, it's overtime. Fourth and mm-hmm. one from their own 35. They yep. call Patrick Mahomes' number. I thought the play call was beautiful. It because was, yeah. you fake to Pacheco, and then you roll mm-hmm. out. You've got Travis Kelsey coming in motion. So you're like, all right, if they come at me, I'm just going to dump it to Kelsey. If they don't, I'm just going to run for the first down. But here's where it really got interesting is that Nick Bosa, who, by the way, Bosa was awesome. Bosa had 10 pressures Mm. uh, in the Super Bowl on Sunday. He was great. Bosa had a chance to end that game. Mm. Bosa ran right after Pacheco, never looked at Mahomes. Bosa was the only one who could have stopped that play. And Mm. once Bosa went after Pacheco, that play was wide open. If Bosa would have just said, I'm not letting Patrick Mahomes beat me and just seen bull red and gone right at 15, game over, Super Bowl over, Patrick Mahomes is down to the ground, Bosa's slamming off his helmet, just going crazy, confetti's falling, Niners win the (laughs) Super Bowl. And that's now two instances where Nick Bosa had a chance at Patrick Mahomes to win a Super Bowl. The Wasp mm. play, third and 15, yeah. the last Super Bowl with seven minutes left, 49ers up by 10. Bosa yep. gets held. I don't blame him on that. And Mahomes hits Tyreek Hill for that big 43-yard gain or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. And then this play right there where he chases Pacheco when he could have chased Mahomes. And if he chased Mahomes, that game's over. Right. Absolutely. Um, and then – this wasn't as big of a game-changing play. Those were the game-changing plays, but I want to talk about the final play as well. Corn dog, as Andy Reid calls it, uh, <laughs> or as he called it, corn dog. This time with a little bit of same thing. ketchup yeah, same and mustard. With, same play they ran last time. It works to perfection every time. Well, last Super Bowl they ran yeah. it twice. They had that next shuttle where the receiver on the outside goes in motion and then immediately just cuts outside. They did it with uh, Sky Moore in the Super Bowl against the Eagles, and they did it with Kadarius Toney in the Super Bowl against the Eagles. Both of them resulted in touchdowns. So you've got this on tape in the Super Bowl, them running this play, or at least a form of it. It's basically the same play. There's a little bit of difference. (laughs) And then they run it 
on the very last play to win the Super Bowl, McCole Hardeman catches it, says he blacks out, didn't even know the game was over until Mahomes Blacked comes up. up and runs up to him. Um, but great play call by Andy Reid, just dialing it up, making it easy for his quarterback. Um, and that's why I think just missing Greenlaw was so be- so big because those the Chiefs do have some of those short yardage plays that are so tough to cover. Mm. And you have to pay attention to Kelsey in those situations. And you just – free up these other guys to just get loose. I mean, McCole Hardeman wasn't even on the team to start the year. McCole Hardeman, McCole Hardeman was the guy who almost cost them the game against the Bills. Was he not? Was he the one who fumbled out of the end zone against the Bills and let them back in that game? Uh, mm, I don't think so. Was that who it was? I can't remember now. No, I don't know. But you know what play I'm it, talking about, though, right? Yeah, it might have been Hardeman, actually. But, uh, yeah, I definitely know what player you're talking about. I can't remember who it was, though. But yeah, I mean that's the thing about it though. To to add to your point, like that last drive, it looked effortless. The fourth down play, I was so nervous, and then they snapped the ball, and it was just completely effortless picking up that first down. Wide um, open. It was no no sweat. Uh, and then again, the play that won the game, it, it was just easy catch and pass. You know, there was nobody even near him to to defend it. Um, Got to give Andy Reid a lot of credit for that. Like of course Mahomes is back there, but Anybody could have made those plays, it seems like, as long as they have some legs and, and can get past the edge there. But, yeah, I mean, it was it was easy. I, I, I'm still disappointed with how it ended. It was kind of anticlimactic in the fact that Romo is explaining to you that, hey, when this clock hits zero, don't freak out. We're going to get a commercial yeah. and we're going to come back and we're going to pick up right where we left off. And yeah. then before you know it, before Romo can even finish talking, confetti's falling and Romo doesn't know what to do. A lot of times they tell the announcers in those moments, they're, they're like, let the moment speak for itself, especially in yeah. baseball. Like somebody like hit, like hits a triple, knocks in three runs, and everybody celebrate, and they kind of just – the announcers shut up, and they let the crowd mm. noise do the talking. Uh, Romo probably should have stopped talking then and just let the confetti he, fall and everybody go crazy. I don't but, know that he has that in him. <laughs> he, had he had a rough night in general, I feel like. I, see, I thought he was great. I thought he was fantastic. And uh, I, I thought Romo gave you something <laughs> on every single drive that was a little bit of information. Um, he's the, the, His haters are going to say the same thing after, I, every, I like after every single time. I like him. He's just such a goofball. Him singing Rolling in the Deep going into the commercial break over the mic. I was like, does he know? He's I did on not the notice that. Oh, man. Go look on Twitter. It's everywhere. But yeah, I noticed it as it was happening. He, he did it once. Jim's like trying to take him to commercial and he's singing over him. He did it again. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he damn sure did just sing that. But yeah, it was. Dude, he is such a kid. He can't yeah. control himself. He The CBS execs have even told him, like, they were like, all right, Romo, like, we know you get fired mm. up, like, especially come playoff time. But they were like, you got to rein in it a little bit, man. You got to yeah. be professional. Like, you are not a fan up there. Um, and I think, like, that's part of, like, what made him so fun, especially that first year when he's diagnosing plays and his excitement. Uh, but, again, that's why some people hate him. I don't mind it as much. I think when Romo's really bad, there's no worse announcer in sports than Romo when the game is, like, out of reach because he just gets mm. bored and he's not into it and he just starts talking about God knows what. But when it's a good game and it's entertaining, like I think he brings a lot to the table there, even though he what, is a goofball. One thing that annoys me, but then I also respect about him, is his ability to read the play before it's going to happen. He is really, really good at that. But it's almost like he's like, all right, watch, here's what they're about to do. 
And it's almost like someone telling you the scene of a movie right as you're about to watch it. <laughs> like exactly what's going to happen. I'm like, let me just see this thing take place. And then you can talk about what you saw that allowed you, like, you know, that got us there. But uh, he does it like constantly, like all through the game. But but he's also just got an incredible eye for it. You know, he can tell exactly what's plays coming every single time. The annoying part of it is, though, mm. it, it always happens like right before they call hut. Like, and yeah. that's kind of yeah. how it is, because. As a quarterback, yeah. you try to get to the line of scrimmage in a certain amount right. of time where you see what the defense is doing. And he used to drive me and my dad crazy because when he was with the Cowboys, especially towards the end of, end of his career, when he got really smart, he would never snap the ball until one second left on the play clock. And we'd just be screaming at the TV, snap it. But he would be <laughs> gathering every piece of yeah. information he could before he snapped the ball. He didn't care if the – pass rush was able to time it hit the information right. he was gathering was more important than that and it's kind of the same thing he does up in the booth like he sees him and it's like right before the play happens as he's been able to gather as much as he can that's when he tells you it's going to happen and it almost happens like a split second later instead of him like setting it up like moments in advance and then letting it take place yeah um, no question but we got to talk about the 49ers yeah because this is now seven times where they've made it to the either the Super Bowl or the NFC Championship and haven't been able to get the job done. And there have been very few instances like this in football history that have this sort of heartbreak. And I kind of want to go go through it year by year because this is with multiple head coaches and four different starting quarterbacks we're talking here. So – from 2011 to 2023, they've lost three Super Bowls and four NFC championships. In 2011, first the Giants in the NFC championship, they led 14 to 10 and they lost in overtime. 2012, first the Ravens in the Super Bowl. We all remember Colin Kaepernick overthrowing Michael Crabtree at the end. Three straight incompletions from the five-yard line to lose the Super mm. Bowl. 2013, first the Seahawks, led 10-3 at half. They're outscored 10 to nothing in the fourth quarter. Again, we watch that play to Crabtree. Richard Sherman flips up the ball. It gets intercepted, and then Sherman chases down Crabtree, gets in his face, and then has that interview with Aaron Andrews where he just – we all saw it. We know what we're talking <laughs> about. Yeah, yeah. 2019, first the Chiefs, of course – they're leading 20 to 10 with seven minutes to play. It's third and 15 for the Chiefs. They get that. The rest is history. Jimmy Garoppolo misses Emmanuel Sanders uh, the next drive. 2021, first the Rams. They lose on a field goal with a minute 46 remaining in the NFC Championship. Just about seven minutes uh, after Jaquiski Tart drops the easiest interception a defensive back will ever have as Matt Stafford just throws that arm putt in the air. 2022, first the Eagles, Brock Purdy gets hurt on like the first drive of the game. Mm. And now 2023, leading 10-3 at half, double-digit lead, losing in overtime. I can only think of a few instances of teams having this miserable of a stretch because me, mm. you, and James were texting about it. And like I'm a Cowboys fan. We win 9, 10, 11 games every single year get the hype train going, get your hopes up, and then just have it squashed. But never is that momentum getting built and built and right. built where you actually right. think you have a shot and you're Cowboys getting close getting to the finish line. Yeah. Yes, and the 49ers are getting to the finish line nearly every time and having it taken away from them when it is in their hands. 
Yeah, no question. I mean, the first question I posed to you was, what's what's like the lifespan from like the, your last Super Bowl before you can start to really feel sorry for a franchise because of the amount of success they've had? It's, it's hard for me to pity them, but you're right. It's been an awful, awful run. There's really like only a couple examples I could come up with, but nothing with the longevity. I mean, this is 12, now 13 years of of this happening to them. And I don't know that any other – NFL franchises had this level of sustain, like sustained success, getting that close and not being able to get over the edge. Like some more short-term examples, if we want to go there, are obviously the Bills reaching four Super Bowls in a row and never being able to get break through. And then the other big one for me, actually, it more recent, is the Eagles with Andy Reid. They went to four consecutive NFC championships, went to one Super Bowl and couldn't break through. And for me, those are a lot more painful because those franchises, well, the Eagles, of course, have one now, but at that point, the Eagles have never won a Super Bowl. Uh, the Bills have never won a Super Bowl. So to get that close, especially for the, I mean, the Bills is the all-time example, of course, but like to get that close and not be able to cash in when you have no championships to show for your franchise's history, to me, that's like torture. Because who knows if you ever get that other that opportunity to come back again. And the Bills, so from 1988 to 1999, <clears throat> they made the playoffs 10 times. In 88, they lost the AFC Championship game. 89, they lost in the divisional round. And then 90, 91, 92, 93, lost the Super Bowl. Uh, it doesn't get much worse than that, especially That's like you're talking about gets. never having won a Super Bowl and then you have that sort of streak. And your first Super Bowl was the one you came closest to where you set up for a game-winning field goal and Norwood shanks it. Yeah. yeah. And the the Andy Reid Eagles decade that you're talking about from 2000 to 2010, that's nine playoff appearances that decade. Like you said, lost in the NFC Championship game four times and the Super Bowl once, three NFC Championship losses in a row from 01, 02, 03, and then losing in the Super Bowl by a field goal. Mm. Then in 2005, McNabb gets hurt and T.O. is deactivated and has that – sit up routine in his driveway with Drew Rosenhaus as he's just wearing his camo and, and having all the reporters around him, just that sort of chaos. And then the following year, McNabb gets hurt again and Jeff Garcia comes in and actually takes him to the divisional round. Yeah. Yeah. And then they wind up going to the NFC championship a few years later back with McNabb um, mm-hmm. and lose to the Cardinals. Uh, yeah. mm. That's, and it's crazy that Andy Reid went through all that. No doubt. Won all those games, and it wasn't enough, and they let him no. go. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. his first quarterback that he had in New England, a guy by the name of – I mean, in Philadelphia, a guy by the name of Doug Peterson ends <laughs> up coming in for the Eagles and being their coach and getting yeah. them to the promised land that Andy Reid couldn't do. Yeah. Andy Reid gets fired, immediately hired by the Chiefs. Yeah. And look at him now. Yep. Zero losing seasons. In fact, he has as many Super Bowls now with the Chiefs as he did losing seasons with the Eagles. Three. So, hasn't had a losing season with the Chiefs. So, he's got three losing seasons in his career and three Super Bowls. It's pretty unbelievable What he, how far he's come. He was always good enough, though. I think everybody always respected Andy enough. That, Absolutely. They knew this was, this was something that was eventually going to happen for him. And you give him a, a quarterback like McNabb, and it's just they've been unstoppable. I did have – go ahead. Go ahead. As a Cowboys fan, I'm telling you, 
Giants fans, Redskins fans, we all celebrated like crazy when Andy Reid left. Yeah. Eagles fans, I, I think the crazy ones were happy to see him go, but the calm, relaxed, logical ones were like, what are we doing? What is Jeffrey Lurie doing? Like, how can you get much better than this? Is there really going to bring a coach you bring in that just like makes that extra call or just does that extra little thing to push you across the finish line? This wasn't a collection of talent where the, you just needed somebody extra to push them across. Like Andy mm -hmm. Reed built that thing. Andy Reed was the guy who decided to take Donovan McNabb second overall. Um, Andy yeah. Reed brought in all of that and he was the mm -hmm. reason for it all. It wasn't like he was just some figurehead leading all this talent and they needed just a, uh, a new voice to see if they could get past the finish line. He was the guy who built that thing and he proved it when he went over to Kansas city and they started putting up all these points with Alex Smith, the biggest game manager in football. Mm -hmm. No question about it. And then Kyle Shanahan, I, I back to the 49ers, I know he wasn't a part of all seven of these instances that we talk about, but his story is just as painful as the 49ers, if not more. Mm. So Kyle Shanahan has now lost six playoff games as a head coach or, or offensive coordinator, including three Super Bowls and two NFC championships. In the fourth quarter and overtime of those six games, his teams have been outscored 86 to 12. <laughs> and in his three Super Bowls as a play caller, his teams are just seven of eight of 28 on third down. And his team has had a double digit lead in all three of the Super Bowls. Mm. And he has not been able to get it done. I feel for Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. I hurt for this man. And <laughs> When when games are this tight and this close and you lose multiple of them, I know plenty of people. There are people that we know from Atlanta, Falcons fans, listening to us right now that are saying, do not let this guy off the hook. I'm going to let him off the hook. Kyle Shanahan turned Matt Ryan into an MVP. Kyle Shanahan turned Brock Purdy one game away. If you take out that Ravens game, Brock Purdy is the MVP this year. Kyle Shanahan was slinging it over, all over the yard with Nick Mullins. Kyle Shanahan had some success with C.J. Beathard. Uh, Kyle Shanahan is as good of coach as there is in the NFL with his concepts, the way he designs these plays, the way he gets the most out of his quarterback. And he is the reason they have achieved all the success. He is the reason the Falcons were up 28-3 to in that game. And I know hindsight is 20-20. But there's nothing in particular that I can say this was obvious or how did you not do this? It just hadn't fallen his way. And yeah. I feel for him because, yes, he's getting there with some people that he shouldn't be, like a Brock Purdy. And nothing against Brock Purdy, but when you're the last pick of the draft and you just come in after a team has screwed up their roster building – by taking a quarterback third overall after trading a ton of draft picks up to get him. I still to this day don't know how the 49ers recover from that. Yeah, and, you, and that's the I mean, that's the thing to me. Like, there's not a lot to knock about Kyle Shanahan. For me, the big one really is the blown lead against the Patriots. There's there's ways for that offense to impact that game, not getting back 
within reach for the Patriots, you know. So that's the big scar for him. These other two is just, for me, running into an absolute dynasty. But then I do look at some of these blunders that have been made in the offseason and how he's impacted their their personnel choices. I mean, obviously they're stacked to the gills. And by the way, I think they just struck gold with Brock Purdy. That'll be a conversation for another day. But he's uh, Mr. Like, you can set that all aside, Mr. Irrelevant. Like, that guy, uh, he sees the game at a level. He showed up on Sunday. Yeah, and he he is is the guy. We don't have to really question that anymore. He's not just a product of Shanahan. I think he could be successful as an NFL quarterback anywhere, um, at least to some level. But these personnel decisions, like, I I think the the argument against it is look how good they are anyway, despite, like, you know, selling the farm to get Trey Lance, despite – you, you know, we talked about it earlier when we were texting. Using a draft pick on a kicker who sucks. Yeah. And then the Tom Brady thing, which for if, if listeners don't know, Kyle Shanahan essentially passed on Brady because he thought the longevity of getting Jimmy G would be more sustainable into the future. He wasn't sure just how long Tom Brady would stick around. And I pointed out that not only Tom, did Tom Brady immediately leave New England and go win a Super Bowl, but he retired the same year that the Niners let go of Jimmy G. And I just can't help but wonder, again, the arguments that look how successful they've been, but they haven't won a Super Bowl. So some of these decisions he's made might be the very decision that, that will just disallow them from getting over the top, you know, and getting it done. But part of it, you run into these dynasties, and, and there's only so much you can do. And sometimes you're just the second-best franchise during that time, and you're just – there's not, nothing you can do about that. They asked Kyle Shanahan, him and John Lynch were doing a press conference today. And they asked him about, is it fair to say that he can't win the big game? Mm. That is such a BS question. Right. You don't get to the Super Bowl three times without being able to win the big game. Right. Playoff games are so damn hard to win and to make runs through them. And for him to go through what they went through last year where he makes it to the NFC Championship, goes up against a juggernaut Eagles team, loses his quarterback and his backup quarterback like right from the jump, and then is able to come right back this year and get right back to it. Uh, four years after he was in his last one, no. Uh, and by the way, his teams in all three examples were highly competitive. It's not like they came out and were just inept and laid an egg. You know, they were in positions in all three to win those games. Yeah, they blew the leads, but, you know, it's not like his teams came out and they weren't ready. If Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> completes that pass to Emmanuel Sanders or let's say Nick Bosa – gets the holding penalty, and they win that Super Bowl. And then let's say Jake Moody doesn't miss the extra point. Let's say Kyle Shanahan's sitting here today with two rings, with Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy. What do you think people are saying about him then? Yeah, he's easily the best coach of this generation, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, and I still think there's an argument for that, quite frankly. Um, in terms of, of the guys that are young, you know, obviously Reed's still around, and I think he's the best of the best currently still in the game now that Belichick is gone. But but in terms of the guys that will be here 10 years from now, it's, it's Shanahan and everybody else. That's what I was going to ask you next. If you could sign any coach to a 10-year contract, is Shanahan your first call? 
Yeah, I mean, I would potentially, he's not leaving, but if I had the possibility to get him, I might call Tomlin, but that'd be about it. You know, but you know you can't get him. I don't know that you can get Shanahan either, quite frankly. I wouldn't leave the Niners. And don't be wrong, I got nothing against Mike mm-hmm. Tomlin. <clears throat> Mike Tomlin, his resume speaks for himself. I mean, that many seasons in a row without a losing record Unbelievable. Is, in in today's NFL and the parody that there is is mind boggling. It really well, is. Well, just this season alone to finish with a winning record with Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph is maybe the most impressive season he's ever had as a coach. Like that team was not good and they still totally with a winner. But yeah. what I'm trying to say is Mike Tomlin, you can't pinpoint what is the reason or, or how he gets his teams to win. Like, right. you know, that he's a great head coach, you know, he's a master motivator, but you don't know what it is about Mike Tomlin that actually like creates more points on the scoreboard than the other team. Mm. Kyle Shanahan, you know, exactly what it is. You see All that right. with your eyes. You see how he diagnoses that offense, how he calls plays, how he sets up everybody. And these defenders to just be in the wrong position at the wrong time. Um, and you give him weapons like he has right now, and he just makes people look foolish. Uh, I think it's between him and McVeigh, just because I can't put that yeah, kind of finger on too. exactly what Tomlin is. But at the same time, I can't argue with Mike Tomlin. But no, man, mm-hmm. I, I just feel horrible for Kyle mm-hmm. Shanahan because um, you don't know if you're ever going to get back here. No matter how good a coach you are, you have to have a All lot right. of things go right just to get back to the Super Bowl. Um, so to just say he'll be back, yeah. I think he will be back, but he very well may not be. Um, let's talk about Andy Reid, man. Andy Reid, we just talked about what he went through in Philadelphia. Now, all of a sudden, he's with Kansas City. He's got three Super Bowls. He's fourth all-time in regular season wins behind only Don Shula, Bill Belichick, and George Hallis. He's second all-time in postseason wins behind only Belichick. He has six more wins than Tom Landry. Oh, mm. man, in postseason. Mm. Um, where do you rank Andy Reid all time? I think I would probably have to put him in the top five at this point. I mean, there, I was looking in, like, I, I prepared for this a little bit, and just by going back and looking at some of the legends, I don't have, like, a great reference point for the Landrys and the George Hallises and those guys. Shula, obviously, you know, having gone undefeated and, and won that Super Bowl in 72 or whatever it was, I'm a little bit more familiar with that team. I'd put him probably right behind Belichick and Noel on my own personal list, you know, with maybe um, – with uh, – oh, shit, I'm forgetting his name now for the Niners from the 80s. Um, Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh would be my third, and then probably Andy Reid right behind him. See, it's tough to rank him with the likes of George Hallis and Curly Lambeau and Vince Lombardi. I mean, these are guys who have five and six championships that, oh, okay, they weren't Super Bowls. They're still championships. Sure. Um, This was a different time. But Andy Reid has done what he's done, not just with the Chiefs, but with the Eagles as well. In the 21st century, where in a league that is all about parity, it is all about mm. punishing you for whatever success you have and rewarding you as much as you can for whatever failure and trying to make the last place team close the gap with the first place team as quickly as possible. I mean, we watched 
the team who drafted C.J. Stroud second overall last year, uh, be one of the final eight teams standing this year. Um, it's just a league that that sort of thing can happen in. And the fact that he has been able to go to – what is this? Four NFC championships or five NFC championships and now how many AFC championships? Five? Six. Mahomes has been six straight years. Six straight years, so five yeah. with the Eagles. And, so, so is that 11 conference year. championships yeah. for Andy Reid yeah. since 2001? Right. I believe that's correct. What? So, yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, that is just ridiculous. So for him to accomplish something like that in the day and age of parody, and you can say Mahomes all you want. McNabb ain't Mahomes. Mm-mm. He went. I mean, he also had a good run with Michael Vick. He had, like I said, he took Jeff Garcia to the divisional round when when McNabb got hurt. Um, we yeah. saw him have a ton of success with Alex Smith. Alex Smith had that crazy game against the Colts against Andrew Luck, where all of a sudden they're going back and forth, and that I forget the final score was forty something to forty something, and I'm like, man, you got Alex Smith in a shootout in the playoffs, like you're right. doing something right. So I don't know where I rank him because it's just too tough to get those older guys in context, but I'm with you, man. I, there's no way, no matter how much homework I do or how much I think about it, that Andy Reid's falling outside of my top five. Um, I think this third Super Bowl secured it. And who's to say he's not going to win another one? That's <laughs> right. That's what, I mean, he's coming back. So, I mean, there's no reason to doubt him. They'll be the favorites next year. Uh, they've got a few things to tie up in this offseason, namely Chris Jones. I think we can't can't forget that guy held out for, what, yeah. two games at the beginning of this year. But but they'll be right back in the as the favorite next year. Uh, and there's really no reason to doubt them at this point. They'll be back in the AFC Championship. Betting against that, taking the field against the Chiefs to make the AFC Championship is a really bad bet. It's still going to be hard, though, man. Like, I, I'm fired <clears> up about <throat> the, the AFC going forward. I think Jim Harbaugh and Justin Herbert makes things really interesting because I just don't see a league where they're not – at least in the playoffs. And then with what Joe Burrow's got going on, and we get a healthy season out of him, um, you throw Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson in the mix, all those arms are in the AFC. But at the same time, we can it's been like that for a little while now, and there's one guy who keeps on emerging from him, and it's Patrick Mahomes. Right. And right. now he's 28 years old. He's got three Super Bowls. He's got two MVPs. He's 15-3 and three in the playoffs in his first six seasons. Uh, if you compare his stats to Brady through this time, yeah, they're both at three Super Bowls, but Patrick Mahomes' stats, especially in the postseason, are just – there's just more. I mean, it's something like 5,000-plus yards to Brady's 3,000-something. Um, obviously, Brady did that first Super Bowl mainly on defense, but then those those next two uh, were on the backs of him. But it's been all Mahomes throughout his career, and – Right now, through 28 years old, I'd give the edge to Mahomes if we're comparing Mahomes and Brady for what they've done up to that point. What do you think about the Brady-Mahomes conversation? Can Mahomes catch him, or is there just too much distance between Tom Brady and everybody else to ever make up that type of ground? No, I think he definitely can. The big thing for me is – by this point in Brady's career, yeah, he had the Super Bowls, but he didn't have a single MVP six years in. Uh, Mahomes has two. Uh, so 
I think that he's surrounded by elite enough talent that they're going to continue to win Super Bowls here and there. Uh, now, that's tough to say, but I, I just think that at this point, there's no reason to doubt that's going to happen. If he can go get a fifth, a sixth one, and win two more MVPs, I mean, you start splitting hairs between five, five Super Bowls and seven. I mean, it's just not, you know, that's, like I said, that's splitting hairs. I think that the thing that's interesting, too, is that, you know, Brady was he was the guy. I think that we all agree. It took a while, though. I think that people forget that. It wasn't until like the late teens that we were like, all right, Brady's definitely the GOAT. And I think part of that was that he was it was him and Manning. There was a time where, you know, Manning was the go- was the the alpha in the NFL. Mahomes took over that spot as soon as he arrived. It was clear that Brady was on the latter part of his career, and he's been the alpha for six years, and he will continue to be. For what, another 10? But here's the thing, though. I mean, you're talking about splitting hairs between five and seven. Would you say splitting hairs between three and one? Because it's the same difference. No, uh, it's it's really not. I think multiple Super Bowls is, is a lot tougher than one. But, but, yeah, I do see your point. I do see your point. I'm just saying that if he can't get to seven, that it's not – it's not going to end up being the difference maker to me. I don't think he has to get to seven either, but at the same time, I get really frustrated in the, (sighs) a lot of people like to say Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback I've ever seen. Patrick Mahomes is the most talented quarterback I've ever seen. There's a difference in God given talent and what Tom Brady does. No doubt about it. I like to compare it to Luka Doncic in the NBA. Like, is Luka the fastest? Is Luka the most athletic? Mm. Does Luka have the best shot? Nah, he not that great of a shot. <laughs> not very athletic. Kind of slow. But try to stop him from scoring a bucket. Like, <laughs> you can't do it. And that's exactly how Tom Brady was. Tom Brady was going to move the ball down the field at a rate better, safer, more efficient, more consistent, and more clutch than anyone Mm. and there's one like Mm. quarterbacking is not just this freak athlete position like yes if you want to put them in gym shorts and play seven on seven i'll take patrick mahomes every single time no debate there but do you remember and i'm going to use this as an example this kind of a weird one but stay with me for a second Mm. do you remember when brock osweiler took the job from peyton manning during the middle of the season for the broncos i do And then at the end of the season, Brock was struggling, and they put Peyton Manning back in the game despite having the hurt neck, despite not being able to throw the ball 10 yards, not being able to throw a spiral. Um, The guy just was completely shot, but they thought they gave him a better chance to win than Brock Osweiler. The reason I'm bringing that up is the first drive that they replaced Brock Osweiler, Peyton Manning comes in there. Broncos offense hadn't done anything all game long. Mm-hmm. Peyton Manning comes in there and they call all running plays. And Peyton Manning is just at the line of scrimmage, moving people around, calling yeah. audibles, making things yeah. happen, and then handing the ball off. And it's wide open every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It is wide open every single time. And the Broncos just right. march right down the field with Peyton Manning, not ever throwing the damn football. Right. There is so much more to playing that position than just running around for nine seconds, making eight defenders miss and then throwing it 70 yards across your body down the field on, on the money. 
And, right. and that's so much fun to watch. And you want to have a quarterback that can bail you out when things go wrong. But what Tom Brady did and the way he did it, man, was something that I already feel is not being appreciated enough. When I hear this Mahomes Brady debate, he's still four short. Tom Brady went 10 years through the middle of his prime without winning a Super Bowl and still finished with seven. And he did it on two different teams. He had two different dynasties. I, I just don't ever want to undersell what Tom Brady has done. So I, I don't want to really entertain this discussion until well, Mahomes gets it. Le- I want to. I want to say no doubt about it. Mahomes is better than Montana before I put him up against Brady. And I can't well, yeah, say no that question. no doubt he's better than Montana yet. Let's let's be real clear. There's still a lot of work left to do. We're just talking about whether he's trying. Uh, and the other clarification I want to make is there's no way that Brady Bucks was a dynasty. I don't know that I would call it a dynasty. No, right? I'm talking about two different New England dynasties. Oh, uh, okay. All right, I thought that's where you were headed with that. Okay, I just wanted to clarify. But, but, yeah, there's still a lot of work left to be done. It's just the rate at which he's getting this done. I mean, the dude has not been denied an opportunity to play for the Super Bowl. He's in the game every year with the chance to make it to the Super Bowl. Um, it's just I don't think we've seen this level of success even from Brady. Did he make six consecutive to start his career? I don't I don't think he did. So, I mean, can he? He absolutely can. Um, I guess the better question is, do you expect him to? I don't know that I can see him winning seven Super Bowls because that's just – it can't be a, stated enough that that's unbelievable. But, again, he's trending in the right direction, and, and they are – at this point, the Chiefs are just – even with just three championships, I mean, the, the 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 dynasties from the Patriots have segged right into the Chiefs, and they're as equally as dominant. They might have done it for a shorter period of time, but it's the Chiefs and everybody else, and forever it was the Patriots and everybody else, you know? So I just view them in the same light, and I just it's hard to imagine he's not going to win a few more. And I'm with you. Uh, the last thing, the last thing I want to turn this into is anything negative about Patrick Mahomes because we are watching something special right now uh, that is not to be taken for granted. Mahomes is nine and two in the playoffs when trailing by seven (laughs) points. Unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah. The next best record in pro football history is none other than Tom Brady. And Tom Brady has a losing record at 10 and 11. Mahomes is nine and two. But at the same time, if we're going to have this little discussion, Brady is also 2-0 against Mahomes in the postseason, beating him in an AFC championship and in a Super Bowl. And if it ever gets to that day where Mahomes (laughs) just has rings on both hands and people are debating like LeBron and Jordan, that is going to be the one that all the Brady defenders go back to and just say, like, argument over. I was about to make that point earlier, uh, and then I kind of just kept talking and forgot about it. But, yeah, I mean, the fact that Brady in the late – and just – you know, these later days of his career can go and cement his legacy by beating the new kid on the block in the Super Bowl and not just beating him, beating them mercifully, <laughs> you know, and just leave everybody with that taste in their mouth. Just y'all don't forget who the alpha is. Um, 
So, I mean, he'll always have that. And I liked it, him going into Arrowhead in the AFC Championship even better. I, I thought yeah. that was one of the great games in NFL history because you, yeah. you saw this Mahomes guy coming up, and it was right at the beginning, Mahomes' real first challenge for the trophy, and Brady comes in and it's just like, not yet, kid. Yeah, and that was 2018, right? I forget the exact year. I think it was, and that was Mahomes' first MVP. So he had just come off winning the MVP, and he comes – He's in Arrowhead at home, chance to go to the Super Bowl, and Brady says, no, sir. He ain't there yet, son. <laughs> I mean, just such an alpha move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last thing I'll say about this before we move on, Mahomes could go 17-0 and for the next 10 seasons in a row, and he still wouldn't catch Brady's win total. Mm. Now that is a staggering – that is a staggering <laughs> statistic. Good Lord. Yeah, you're right. He won't ever get there. <laughs> All right, let's finish up the Super Bowl Super Bowl talk with a little fun action. Uh, favorite off-the-field moment? Was it a commercial? Was it the halftime show, national anthem, pregame, postgame, Taylor Swift, Blake Lively, J.J. Watt's hair? What was it? God, I told you before I was going to really struggle with this segment because I'm not a – I'm not a huge off the field guy and the halftime show was just all right. I did love seeing Luda out there. I'm a big Ludacris fan. I actually did see a clip that I rather enjoyed because for all the Swifties out there of uh, Taylor Swift and, and uh, Travis Kelsey dancing and singing to her songs at the club. I guess if you're into that kind of thing, that might've been a nice moment. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> I don't know what, yeah, it was, it was touching. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I don't know what to add because I just, dude, I, was, I, I pay attention to the halftime show but I can't get into like the rap concerts don't just do it for me. Um, and, and then everything else surrounding it. Like I don't pay attention to the commercials at all. They're not what they used to be. They I used to be able to count on some, some really great the Dunkin Donuts. Ben Affleck ad was really good. Yeah. I like we talk- Damon and talking about like, how do you like them donuts and apologize yeah. for it? That was good stuff. No, but, but in fact, for me, it's all like a big distraction from the game. I was talking with a friend that I was watching the game with, and he was talking about a Bill Burr set, uh, stand-up that he did where he was talking about how he'll go to a – he hates Super Bowl parties because he goes to the Super Bowl party, the commercials will hit, the halftime show will hit, and everybody just goes quiet because they want to see the commercials and they want to hear the halftime show. And then the game kicks back off, and everybody's just talking. You can't even watch the game. So I, I sort of I'm, – I'm that guy. You know, like I just everybody shut up while the game's on. Let me watch it. See, I I thought there were a few good. Mo- I love man, Blake Lively. Just keep the camera on her as much as possible. <laughs> that was great. Her, her mouth. She had a little bit of an interesting look with the curly hair. She was going for it. She she can pull <laughs> off whatever. <laughs> she is a beautiful. Woman. I still have to ask you a question because I don't know the answer to this yet. But she was being talked about a lot because she was always in that shot with Taylor Swift and Blake Lively. Who is Ice Spice? I don't know. You know who I'm talking about, know. though? The, yeah, the... so I do know a little bit about her. So she does – she's some sort of – not a musician, a singer or rapper. She has some real, real – got to look up her songs. We were actually looking her up during the game. She has some pretty raunchy songs out there that are <laughs> – I won't even say the names of them on the podcast. They're that bad. But – uh like we talked yeah. like WAP, WAP type stuff. <laughs> yeah, in that same vein. Uh, but yeah, I guess she's some sort of, you know, singer or rapper. Never heard of her. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
And then I'm surprised maybe, you think I would know who she is. I guess I did do a little intel, but well, and then the the other camera was going to Jay Z, Beyonce, and they'd always say like, yeah. "Well, there's Jay Z and Beyonce, and they're both in." Uh, Jack Dorsey <laughs> would always be there as well. The 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 inventor of Twitter would just be sitting there with his little. He was yeah. wearing like some some crypto shirt or whatever that everybody was freaking out about. Uh, and I heard I, that uh, the other thing I'll, I'll add for in terms of celebrity sightings is is Biebs was seen sitting with uh, Ciara and Russell Wilson during the game. I thought that was an interesting pairing for me, for Justin Bieber to be buddies with Russell Wilson. Can it get any worse? Mm, Whose legacy God. does that hurt worse? I think that hurts Bieber's a lot worse than it does. I think I like Justin Bieber more than I do. <laughs> Russell I don't Wilson. think you can hurt Russell Wilson's social legacy <laughs> any more than it's already. I guess that helps it. I guess that's probably why he was with them. Maybe he's just friends with CR. I mean, Russell Wilson ditching that girl who was with him on draft day, that crazy blonde chick, <laughs> and being with Ciara has done a lot for him. Uh, <laughs> my favorite off-the-field moment of the Super Bowl, I got two. So number one was uh, long before kickoff, Andy Reid showed up, and he was wearing a black blazer with the Chiefs logo on it, and it was the same one Hank Stram I don't know if it was the exact same one, but it was like a replica of what Hank Stram won during Super, wore during Super Bowl one when he was coaching for the Chiefs. Yeah. Uh, it was a good homage to him. And then I also want to talk about Kylie Kelsey. Kylie Kelsey is Jason Kelsey's wife. Yeah, she's cool. So Jason shows up in like Chiefs overalls, and he's all in yellow and red or whatever their official colors are. Kylie Kelsey is from Philadelphia. Right. Diehard Eagles fan. Mm-hmm. Brother-in-law to Travis wants the Chiefs to win, but she is not about to wear Chiefs colors. She just That's shows right. up in a Cincinnati shirt where he went to college. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I saw that. It's like, I'll wear red. It's the color of the Bearcats, but it's going to be Cincinnati. Yeah. You're not about to find me in Chiefs colors, especially 12 months after they just beat my team and my husband <laughs> yeah. in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I've got yeah. so much respect for Kylie Kelsey. Yeah, um, she's a cool chick, man. I, she she goes on their podcast, and I don't watch a lot of it. I watch some clips from their podcast, but she's she's cool. I like I her. I mean, the Kelsey brothers have bagged some good-looking chicks, man. You know who else has a good-looking well, wife? they're NFL football players. I get it, but I get it. But <laughs> hey, look around, man. There's Shocking. some. Are, there's some who you wonder. You're like, eh, man, yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Usechek's girl is really yeah. good looking. Yeah, she's um, beautiful. I went to look at her Instagram trying to, because it, it kept popping up as she was making clothes for everybody. And then right. you just get to scroll and you're like, juice. <laughs> Way to go, <laughs> dude. Yeah, Way to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good place to leave it off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's go to another uh, event this weekend. And quite the event it was. The Waste Management Open, man, I... I didn't watch much of it. I did watch Scotty just continue not to be able to putt at all uh, while dominating from tee to green. But the golf was not what this tournament was about this weekend, nor has it really been for the past couple years. This year seems like the year it jumped the shark, man. Yeah. Too much. I mean, my whole Twitter timeline was filled up with video after video of stuff that I mean, you and I went to the University of Alabama. I did not witness this in Tuscaloosa when I was 19 years old, some of the stuff I was watching on social media. It almost seems to me like 
it's kind of one of those spectacles where it just developed into this tournament where people had a really good time and some stuff was, some behavior was allowed that didn't allow other places. It's just a little bit more loose and it just right. created this all awesome atmosphere. And then year after year, more people start watching it and then people That's are like right. playing to go out there and That's then right. people make the trip and they're like, I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to get tanked. And yeah. then it just gets rowdier and rowdier each year until it just gets until people are just making characters of themselves, basically. Right. Um, I kind of feel like a lot of things like turn out like that, like burning yeah. man. I, 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 you know me, I've never been a burning man type guy, <laughs> yeah. but I feel like becomes when, a parody of itself almost. Yeah. But yeah, when we were younger, right. burning man was like the free spirited artsy right. hippies that were going right. out there to be in the desert and dress up in some weird clothes and just like, live their life how they wanted to. And then as time went on and it started getting posted to social media, it's a viral moment. All of a sudden yeah. it's just like celebrities and rich people flying mm -hmm. in on private jets from all over and just getting glammed up and taking right. some mushrooms and posting pictures all over the damn internet. I kind right. of feel like that's what the waste management has gotten yeah. to now. No, it's a great, it's a great comparison. I have a lot of thoughts on it. Like, I mean, first of all, I'm pretty like I'm, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to golf. Like, I don't want anybody to make a peep. I hate the getting the whole guys in regular tournaments, like all that. Mashed potato guys, me. one of the worst yeah. human beings on earth. They should kick them out. <laughs> like I haven't. And, and so my, my two different takes are for this is yeah, it got out of control this year. Like, I mean, I guess in the viral world we live in today, when you invite young people and that was their goal was to draw young people uh, there's major universities in that area that are known for partying. They wanted to boost ticket sales and they did it. You know, they wanted to boost alcohol sales and they did it. Um, and they kind of got what they asked for. They got to get some control over it. You don't need people pissing their pants, um, fighting, doing any of that kind of stuff. It's ridiculous is what it was. Falling it was from the people, bleachers, jumping in fall, the bunker, yeah. yelling at players, multiple the kid, players. The pledge, the pledge that jumped into the bunker. I saw afterwards. He said he thought the bunker was water, so he tried to dive into it, which is actually kind I of. I mean, funny. was he like being serious, or was he <laughs> thought, just thinking he's hilarious? Quote I saw. I thought it was kind of funny, but uh, he almost broke his neck though, like seriously. And that uh, was that was the least of what happened. Like that one, I almost can even understand it after what right. I've seen these past few years, but. The guy who's passed out on the stool, not even passed out, he basically can't move because he's trying not to puke, and he's just sitting there with a waterfall of urine coming off the stool as everybody's filming him. Uh, the the shirtless 400-pound dude sliding down the mud, drunk people falling all over. Uh, um, Jordan Spieth having interactions with fans. Zach Johnson having interactions with fans. Yeah. Billy uh, Horschel. Billy Horschel. Um, there's a lot more. If you just go on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you use and just type in waste management, I, I promise you, whatever we're saying, we're not doing, doing it justice. Yeah. And, and I know I sound like an old man. I mean, like I'm not who this tournament is catered to. Like I, I literally hurt my back getting off the couch on Saturday this weekend. I, I watched the Super Bowl alone. I am still upset about a pair of khakis I left in Orlando three weeks ago. Like, <laughs> I, I get it. Like, I am not that cool anymore. No. Um, and I do kind of feel like old man yelling at cloud because it is a cool thing. Like, I like the waste it, management and the rowdy atmosphere, but it, it's too much now. And the golfers fed into it, too, is the funny thing. Because, I mean, if you got to remember, it was just last year, Harry Higgs – 
you know, at the stadium par three, taking his shirt off and swinging it around his head. They have totally fed into this. I've seen both. I've seen takes from both sides uh, on social media that it was ridiculous. Certain pro golfers thought. I saw one from a guy. I can't remember his name. He was just a nobody. But he was like, it was one of my favorite stops of the year. You know what you're getting into when you sign up to play that tournament. And this is where my take differs a little bit from yours and from like my typical golf spectator perspective. I want silence. I want respect for the players. I do think it's kind of interesting. If they can get the partying under control, which I don't even know if they really can at this point, but if they could, I think there being one tournament on the schedule all year where you're just, there's no rules, there's no politeness, there's no golf etiquette. You got to deal with fans. I think that's kind of interesting. You know, people might shout in your backswing. People do whatever they want to do in that regard. They're not running on the course. That's not acceptable. But you're dealing with chatter in the crowds, people not shutting up. They're they're heckling you. I think that's kind of interesting, actually. Just one time a year. One time a year. You got to deal with it. partially with you. Yeah. Keep it to one hole. Yeah. Okay. Don't make this and that's an what it was. 18 that's whole fair. thing. Yeah, I mean, that's it, fair. Because a lot of the videos I saw with the players, <clears throat> it was not happening at the stadium hole. It was happening on other parts of the golf course where that just sort of behavior spilled over to the rest of it. And mm. it just kind of became a theme for the whole thing. I love right. that one hole. I love seeing Thigala's dad wearing a shirt with his son's face on it with 14 other white dudes just screaming his son's name, going crazy. Like there's some great stuff that happens at that tournament. And there always has been, but even like to your point about, uh, Harry Higgs last year, like Joel Damon's on the Netflix documentary and he's discussing that moment. And he's like, yeah. And I take my shirt off and, you know, immediately I get uh, a letter or an email or a call or whatever it was. It was, a, I think it was a call from PGA tour yelling at me. And he was like, and I totally understand it. You're not supposed to take your shirt off on a golf course. Like, yeah. And I yeah. liked, I, I loved them taking the shirt off. I thought that was great. I thought yeah, it, was it was cool. cool. It was fun. It was yeah, an awesome it was moment. Awesome. Um, but when Joel Damon is like, I totally understand why I was reprimanded for that. That makes totally total sense. And what he did doesn't even compare to some of the behavior that we saw from the spectators there. Uh, no question. It, it just needs to get under control because well, it, it's going to keep escalating. That's my point, though, is I just – I'm so curious to see what they do to try to control this moving forward because if you're going to sell alcohol, I don't know. Maybe they control ticket sales. I, I really don't know. I, I'm curious to see how they attack this. For example, we have a close friend that's getting married soon. He could have gone anywhere he wanted to for his bachelor party, and he picked the waste management open for a bachelor party because that's the kind of atmosphere it has now. It's a party that people go and they seek out, you know, Um I think that kind of really shows exactly what it is now that people are, are picking it for a, da- a a destination for a bachelor party now. And my point in saying that is I, I don't know how you, you go back on that now, like and try to swing that back the other direction. They're still going to sell alcohol. They make too much money to do that. They still want to sell as many tickets as they want to. They make too much money to do that. So unless they up the security and they're kicking people out left and right, I really don't know how they get control of it. I really don't. See, I wish I just knew more about it because it almost seems like there's a hundred thousand people that come to that tournament to try to like weed out the ones that are going to be insane. It's impossible. No, I'm I'm with you, and the the PGA released some information today that said that they're going to try to rein <clears throat> in the amount of people and kind of the behavior on Friday and Saturday, especially of the tournament, because that's the real crazy days. But mm-hmm. I also just saw what I saw on social media, and I'm like. 
there's no way that all these people who are showing up, by the way, you were showing up at like four, four thirty in the morning, like, yeah. especially to, to get some of those seats on yeah. the stadium hole. And yeah. there's just, so basically what I'm trying to say is you're not showing up to the course sh- shit faced. Like yeah, it, right. I, I'm sure somebody does, but for the most part at four thirty AM, those people are for the most part sober. So are you really drinking that much alcohol inside the course. I mean, you and I went to the masters. Well, like we go to golf tournaments. Like I've got a drink in my hand. The majority of the time I have yeah, not been able to drive after watching many a golf tournament out at the course, but I can still say my own name and walk in a straight line for the most part. One thing I'll add too, though, that I think this year, we could also see that this year might've been a little bit of an anomaly. A lot of weather delays. I don't know if you've ever been to a sporting event, with it's delayed by the weather it's where it's point. raining, what do you do? You go stand next to the bar and you, and you drink as much as possible at an event where it's already the thing to do. So I think that that kind of fueled this fire even more. We'll be surprised if we ever saw this kind of like it reached this level ever again, just given that angle alone. Last thing I'll say about the tournament. It was a great tournament. It was great win for Nick Taylor. I was really disappointed he won. I'm a they big ended Charlie it way Alton too late fan. though. It did not coincide yeah. well with the, the no, football. No, it did not. I didn't get to watch it. I was just rooting for Charlie Hoffman though. I mean, I flipped over to the Super Bowl, um, but big Charlie Hoffman fan. Wanted to see him win. He came storming up on on Sunday. Was just making huge putts. Made an eagle late late in his round to get in it and take the lead from Scotty of all people. It was a really good tournament. Uh, let's leave it on that note. If I keep talking up, I, I, I feel like the <laughs> listeners are going to be against me and with you on this one. Um, <laughs> I'm the fun police on this one. Uh, NBA trade deadline happened last week, Brad. Um, I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, what did you like the most? Any trades that you wish would have happened? Anybody who stayed path that you didn't think should have? What's your big takeaway? Well, I just think the Knicks above all really killed it. Um, if you even go back to the beginning of January, um, bring it in Ananobi, Ananobi, um, bring it in Preston Achua, and then on the deadline, bringing in Alec Burks, um, and, and getting, uh, Bojan Bogdanovic, like four guys that can all really contribute to a team that's already scorching hot. We've talked about them a lot on the podcast, uh, dealing with a lot of injuries, they got to get healthy. But I mean, and and the biggest win for them is they have a boatload of assets, and they didn't have to give up a single run of those first round picks. Yeah. So now, say that they don't get there this year, they can turn around. They have a squad in place that a superstar is going to want to come play for, and I think yeah. that was probably their ultimate goal. So this is a huge win for the Knicks going far past this season. And I do think, if you want a hot take, I think Giannis will be a Nick. Um, and I just think that's inevitable. Maybe Randall and two first or something like that. But we'll see how they try to attack. It's gonna that take more than that. Yeah, it might. You're right. Yeah, it'll probably take a boatload. But I just I kind of foresee that coming with the way that the things are going for the Bucks. Lakers, big loser to me. Really expected them to do something, and they didn't make any moves at all. Uh, really disappointed to see that. Thought the Hawks would move to uh, to Junte Murray, but they couldn't. Uh, and I thought that would be where he would land, actually, interestingly enough. And they couldn't actually get that done. The rest was just kind of a lot of filler, aside from one guy. 
but I think you're seeing the impact from. I told you how much I loved it when it happened, and that's big Dan Gafford going to Dallas. And by the way, P.J. Washington, too, I think Dallas got a lot better, Clark. A lot better. A lot better. I don't know if it'll make a difference, but they got a lot better. P.J. Washington and Dan Gafford are serious, serious players that can contribute to a team that could really contend. Um, and they've already got two studs with Luka and Kyrie. So, I mean, I'm just super excited to see what the Mavs are capable of doing this year. So, do you remember when I told you when the Knicks traded for Ananobi that – I liked it, but because of the fact that he was on the last year of his deal and you were taking a risk that Mm. there was still a lot there and I needed to see how it played out before I really was able to give that deal the stamp of approval. And then as I was saying that, I told you, I was like, but I did watch the first game and I know it's a small sample size, but Ananobi looked really good. The Knicks had more spacing than I've seen from that team in years, and everything was looking good. And I was like, I know it's just one game. We'll see if we can keep up. Long story short, ever since that one game, they've been the same team every game since then with Ananobi in the lineup. I mean, I know he's hurt right now, but they have looked really, really good with him game after game. Um, And I watched the Mavs on Saturday against OKC. OKC was on four days rest, one of the best teams in basketball. And I watched Daniel Gafford and P.J. Washington in their first game. And, yes, very small sample size. But, man, could they they not have made a better (laughs) statement. I mean, nearly beat OKC by 40 points. Um, I think both of their first buckets came off off alley-oops from Luka. Luca has been begging for a rim running center for three years now. He said, uh, yeah. and now he's got two of them in Derek Lively and Daniel Gafford, uh, PJ Washington, I think is huge. Grant Williams was just not who the Mavs hoped he'd be. Grant Williams is what he's been for the Mavs is a guy who locks down the best ball handler. And when I say mm-hmm. locks down, I mean, guards him. I don't mean shuts him down by any means, right. um, but he can't close out at the three point line. He can't get rebounds. He's not knocking down. He wasn't knocking down threes like he was in Boston. He's averaging eight points a game. And you're just not getting $54 million worth from that. And then you go trade it for somebody like PJ Washington, who you're probably going to, I mean, defensively, it's very close as an on ball defenders there, but as a help defender, PJ Washington, you got to think is better. Absolutely better at closing out. Absolutely better rebounder. Um, Every bit the three-point shooter, he's going to shoot at a 33 34 35% clip and be able to space the floor. Um, so you kind of get a similar defender, similar three-point shooter with better rebounding. And for right. teams that struggle to play defense, you're going to need to rebound. And when you get Daniel Gafford and P.J. Washington and athleticism, man, Luka yeah. needs athletes around him. That's what yeah. he had when they went to the Western Conference Finals. That's what he had in Dorian Finney-Smith and um, – well, I'm at Reggie Bullock and and yeah. they, that team played defense. I don't yeah. know if this team will be as good defensively as that team was, but I think I like this roster a little bit better. I know Jalen Brunson's not there, but Kyrie Irving now is a better player than Jalen Brunson was then. And then yeah. you, you're basically looking at Maxi Kleba, Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, Dwight Powell versus Daniel Gafford, PJ Washington, Derek Jones Jr., Josh Green. I kind of like what the Mavs have now. 
And obviously yeah. you've got a better version of Luca a couple years later. Um, I'm very interested to see what this team can do because as Luca's proven in the past, especially come playoff time, he's going to show up. Luca's not a Joel Embiid. He's not a Joyce Randall. He's not going to just falter in those hey, moments. Yeah. He's going to improve his game. Right. Um, so you just give him people around him who he knows where they're going to be. They're going to do the dirty work. They're going to guard people. They're going to run. I'm excited, man. But there's one, be. there's one thing that I just – I've been burnt on before, and I don't want to be burnt on again. Mm. Daniel Gafford came out against game two. It was against Washington, his old Monster team. Monster game. Monster game. <laughs> and and I will make – 17 boards, five blocks. <laughs> Washington traded away. He was their only center, so he yeah. had nobody to go against. He was going up against right. Rashawn Holmes, who the Mavs traded away, yeah. who never, ever saw the floor for the Mavs. Right. Um, I expected him to dominate a Wizards team mm -hmm. that lacked in size. Sure. But I just still have Christian Wood bad memories. Christian Wood <laughs> was that fantasy guy who just filled the stat sheet, who everybody was like, how'd the Mavs get him for so cheap? Such a steal. Yeah, and I then said he, it. And then yeah. he comes over and you see all the problems. And then I'm starting to look at Daniel Gafford. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that i've watched a bunch of wizards games these past few years come on man no but i just keep up through through box scores really and highlights but daniel gafford is 25 years old now he's now been traded by two different teams he just got traded for what amounts to rashawn holmes who's an expiring contract and a first round pick that is going to be somewhere in the early 20s it won't be a lottery like the mavs did not give up hardly anything for the guy yeah. And I'm just I'm just curious when he goes up against these big guys from the West because you need size in the West. Oklahoma City learned that on Saturday. Chet Holmgren does not count. He's not big enough. He's long, but he's not big enough. When the Mavs go up against Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns and when they go up against Anthony Davis uh, and when they go against go up against Nikola Jokic, like is Daniel Gafford going to – be this stat stuffer that we've seen all year filling out with the blocks and the boards. And um, I mean, he he's shown in his first two games, he could be a 12 to 15 point a game guy for the Mavs. And that's even playing behind lively. So I just want to see him do it against better competition and more sure. consistently because I've been bit before. And Christian Wood is a guy who comes to mind. Miles Bridges is another guy who comes to mind who just mm. dominates stat wise. But in terms mm. of wins, losses, just like doesn't really get the, it there. I the worst a, plus minus in the league. <laughs> worst plus yeah. minus in the 21st century. <laughs> Did you know that he's got the yeah. worst plus minus yeah. this season than any NBA player well, they're, they're, this century? So bad though. And they, well, he I, also I, well that means he's got the worst plus minus on his own entire team. Yeah, um, I'll say this for I mean, Dan Gafford and and Wood are, are horrible comparisons for this reason. They're not I understand. similar players. Just, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about Woods jacking up threes, shooting inefficiently. Gafford never takes a bad shot. I mean, the guy shoots like 80% every single game. He's a better defender. And by the way, he's always healthy. And Christian Wood could never stay healthy. I know you weren't making that comparison. I'm just saying two totally different animals. The one thing I, I was will making tell the you, comparison though, in, in sure. stats first production, right. not styles of play. You will not get a guy that can go up against Jokic Embiid, and, and Davis and just go out there and stuff him on his own. They're still going to have to double team those guys. He's undersized for a center. Uh, very athletic, 
Um, but but he's he's not going to be able to handle those guys on his loan. But I, I don't think that's what the Mavs were ever trying to do. They just wanted someone a little bit more consistent that could play with. And by the way, I think he and Lively really complement each other well. You know, like Gafford does one thing well. He's a, such a solid rebounder. He's a good rim protector. He's really efficient, whereas Lively is just the athlete of the bunch where he can really bring a spark to the offense and do some things athletically as a defender as well. So I just think they complement each other really well. And that's what I'm really curious about is because when Lively's been out of the lineup, I mean, he's missed 12 to 15 games this year. The Mavs have a terrible record. And when he's in the lineup, the Mavs look really good and have a great record. So now when he's out of the lineup, the Mavs have somebody who can fill that production, but I want to see what happens when they get back together. And the thing that does excite me about the trade, because again, like I said, I'm going into this Daniel Gafford experience with not a lot of Gafford minutes under my eyeballs, so to speak. I want to see how Gafford and Lively play together, because if you can somehow keep them on the floor together in the right way, and you have Washington Gafford, Lively, Kyrie, Luca. You have three rebounders who can play defense with some size mm-hmm. around Kyrie and Luca. I'm really curious to what that looks like. Um, yeah. And if they will be able to protect the three point line playing like that. Because we have seen other teams in the past. I mean, Rudy Gobert always comes to mind where three time defensive player of the year and then they get in the playoffs and all of a sudden you're like, we got to take this guy off the court because all of a sudden <laughs> yeah, they just went us. small against us and he can't he's get out to the us. three point line. So I want to see what that looks like. Um, but again, it's going to come down to really facing bigs because that's what you have to go up against in the West is a bunch of bigs. And that's why I kind of think when we're talking about teams that did stand pat, I just wish the Thunder would have gotten a big. I think the Thunder should have gone after a guy like Daniel Gafford. Yeah, that's um, a great call. Because the, really thun- the Thunder uh, were clearly <laughs> willing to make a move, but yeah, they went and got Gordon Hayward, which I don't think moved the needle for a lot for him. I don't think they needed him. Yeah, I mean Jordan Gordon Hayward is what just basically like a better, more experienced Josh Giddy. <laughs> I mean, sure, I mean he brings a veteran presence to a young team and I, I can't I always harp on this. Can't understate the value of that. When you got a young team like that, that's clearly going to be one of the best three records in the Western Conference. No reason for them to not be thinking they need to go try to win some playoff series this year. I'm not saying they're going to win a championship, but like go try to win some playoff series and that the benefit of doing that alone prepares you so much to do that more and more down the line, but like yeah, I don't think that they did a whole lot that's going to make a whole lot of difference compared to what they already had, you know. Um, and Chet could use some help in the paint. Like, he is still – we talked about someone that could defend the three bigs, um, or at least the two bigs in the West, and, and Jokic and Davis. And, and Chet, as great of a rim protector as he is, those guys put their shoulder into Chet, and it caves in. <laughs> like, that's all there is to it. They're going to flatten him. Uh, although he is really – I mean, he's over exceeded expectations – especially in the way that he can defend. But I don't think he's ready for that kind of a challenge. And they could have really, really done something to help him out down there. I want to do one quick exercise before we move to final thoughts. Um, Because the Knicks have done a lot. There's a lot of high hopes for them. I just want to do a quick exercise. I'm going to name an opponent. And I want you to tell me who wins a seven-game series between them and the Knicks. Knicks and Cavs. See, that's a tough one. I was, I was, gonna, I was waiting for you to get to that one. I guess 
I'm going to go the Knicks, but they've got to get healthy. Every one of these is, is prefaced by the assumption that Ananobi gets healthy, Bronson doesn't slip up and get banged up again, Randall's full health. Like They have a lot of guys, important guys. Even DiVincenzo, who's been on fire, got banged up last night. Um, they've got a lot of health issues. The Cavs are scorching hot. Yeah, they are. And Jared Allen has become one of the best centers in the Eastern Conference this season, both playing both ways. And when you put that together with Spider, Donovan Mitchell, who's, again, I said this in the preseason, I think he's under the radar, one of the top ten players in the league. I mean, I just think that they have a lot of good pieces around him uh, to really go make some noise. And now they're they're currently the hottest team in the league. Uh, we're right there with the Clippers. Um, that would be a hell of a series. Didn't we get that last year in the mat? And the, is that who they played in the first round? But anyway, is that who, who I, I would played? Love the Knicks. I'm sorry, the Knicks played the Knicks and Cavs. Wasn't that first round? I can't remember now. But either way, uh, I would love to see that series, and I think it's a decent chance we could get it. Honestly, all right. The team that knocked the Knicks out last year, the Miami Heat. And this is the Miami Heat. I know the Knicks are a different team, but the Miami <clears throat> Heat have added Terry Rozier, and they basically added Tyler Harrow as well because Tyler Harrow wasn't part of that series last right. year. Who wins Rozier. a Knicks Heat series? Yeah, Rozier got hurt this week too, so we'll see what he looks like going down the stretch. But I'm going to go right now with the Knicks. I like what they've got a little bit more. I can't expect Jimmy Butler to elevate his play this mu- that much every postseason. By the way, but- Butler's just not – been all right you know i do think bam out is is probably one of the most underrated players in the league best defender in the league the guy could guard a point guard he can guy the biggest guy on the floor obviously he's a center but like he's a weapon that can't be duplicated in the league honestly um but aside from that i just think that the heat got too far to go to to try to make it any kind of run like they did last year and I think I would take the Knicks in that series. All right. Again, let's assume health because this is key. Knicks Sixers. I'm going to go with the Knicks. Knicks Bucks. Bucks. Knicks Celtics. Celtics. East going to be fun, man. Yeah. I just, the Sixers are going to be interesting once they get, I, I like, the question mark with Embiid now is when he comes back, what kind of level is he going to be playing with? How quickly are they going to let him off the leash? I don't think he'll be ready till what, like a few weeks before the seat. Like I, it's going to be a while before he's back. And uh, they have been bad, like really bad without him. Uh, and I think they've kind of gotten exposed in that light. But, but yeah, I think the Bucks will turn it around. They've been horrible since Doc Rivers got there, by the way. He's like one in five as their head coach or something like that. Um, Celtics are just far and away the best team in the Eastern Conference right now. Buddy Heald moved the needle for you at all going to the Sixers in a trade? Mm, I mean, it's always nice to add a shooter, I guess. Uh, I think he's a good piece. I just don't think it'll ultimately end up mattering right now. If Embiid's not healthy, that team has zero chance to win a championship. And that's to say he could play, but is he fully healthy? And will they fully let him go out and do his thing? You know, big question mark. All right, final thoughts. Um, I know what you're doing today, so I will start. Uh, going to go baseball again. We got NBA and NFL already under our belts. Going to hit you with a little baseball. 
Um, pitchers and catchers began reporting today. Um, and an interesting signing that won't make many headlines, but really intrigued me. The San Francisco Giants have struggled the past few years. They have been desperate for a big name, especially a slugger. Um, this is a good baseball team that mm. has a lot of depth and is going to contend for the postseason, but they just need a hitter, a slugger, and they need a, just a brand name that they haven't had in a really while. They didn't quite get that today. Um, they missed out, like I said, on Carlos Correa, Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani. Today they went out and signed Jorge Soler. And former World Series MVP, that's not – why I'm excited about it. Uh, but he's coming off a 36 home run season and the giants are in desperate need of power. And now they get solar power. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> God. since 2004, Brad, <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. I have no shame. Uh, since 2004, the San Francisco Giants have not had a 30 home run hitter. Barry Bonds <laughs> mm, is the last wow. giant to hit 30 home runs in a season. Wow. Every other team in Major League Baseball has had at least five instances of a player hitting 30 home runs since 2004. The Giants have zero. And so you add Jorge Soler with Jung Hoo Lee, who they signed out of mm. the Korean League for $113 million, uh, former Korean League MVP. I know we don't know who these guys are yet, but when they come over, I mean, this was a big signing who a lot of teams were afterward, after. Uh, Jung-Hoo Lee, by the way, great nickname. Grandson of the Wind is what they call him. His, <laughs> fa his father was Son of the Wind, and he is Grandson of the Wind. Um, but the Giants have, have low-key made a couple great signings. I love Solaire. I love Jung-Hoo Lee. They missed out on the big names. Um, but I think they've got a chance to, to make the playoffs this year. And also, if your team's out there, and you know you're still missing a piece, and you're like, hey, spring training's starting. Like, how good my team going to be? There's still some names out there to sign. Blake Snell, the Cy Young winner out of the National League last year, still a free agent. Jordan Montgomery, playoff hero last year, still a free agent. Cody Bellinger, mm. former MVP, still a free agent. Matt Chapman, arguably the best fielding third baseman in baseball, still a free agent. J.D. Martinez, another big slugger, still a free agent. So – some of these teams that we've that have kind of been sitting on their hands all offseason, uh, not really improving their rosters, are going to have a chance to before we really get going at the end of March for this season. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. But yep, just wanted to get a little bit of baseball on the show and uh, give a little team like the Giants some love who basically haven't gotten much coverage from anybody these past few years because they are a team of no names. Yeah, despite having like what the best record in the bigs. Two years ago, was that? Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe they didn't have 110 they games. I would, I would have thought Brandon Belt, I had to look it up just to double check your, your work, but I would have thought Brandon Belt would have hit 30. He hit 29 one season. Really never okay. broke 20 other than that. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, tonight I'm taking a shot at this day in sports. And I got to say, have a newfound respect because this is kind of tough. There's a lot of shit that happens <laughs> each day. And so ciphering through it all and deciding what's relevant. So I kind of just picked what, what stood out to me. Uh, so on this day in sports, February 13th, uh, 1937, the Boston Redskins, the R-Words, receive approval from the NFL to move to Washington, D.C. They shared the Griffith Stadium with the Washington Senators. So they they moved to D.C. in 1937. I did not uh, know that they, were, that they were from Boston. Me neither. Yeah, I wouldn't have known that. 
1952 future world champion Rocky Marciano knocks out Italian heavyweight boxer Gino Bonvino in the second round at Rhode Island Auditorium in Providence for his 40th straight win. And he actually went on later in 1952 to finally win the world cha- the heavyweight cha- uh, title. And, of course, he never lost it. Held it till he retired. Only undefeated boxer ever. Say his opponent's name Only one under- more time. Only undefeated champion ever. Never lost. It was Gino Boyanvino. <laughs> I mean, that is the all-name team right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Marcy, I, I also learned tonight. I, I wish I can't say his last name, so I won't even try. But Marciano was what he went with because – Announcers couldn't announce his last name, so he try changed it. his last name. Try it. Uh, you got to try it. Let me. See. Oh, I didn't even put it in my notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't even have it here. But look it up and give it a shot if you want to find so out. So this is just going to be it. a mystery, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, look it up and you can you can give it a shot for us. James, um, we welcome you back next episode. A <laughs> uh, couple years later, 1954. American college basketball player Frank Selvey scores a hundred points for Furman, beating Newberry one forty nine to ninety five. So Wilt gets all the love for going for a hundred in the NBA, but Frank Selvey did it first in college. Uh, that's a record. I, I, I got nothing to add there. I attended Furman football <laughs> camp in high school. That's about it. <laughs> did you really? I did. Yeah. What, our, our what football, took you up our, there? Our football team. That's went in South there. Carolina, right? Yeah, our football team went yeah. there every summer for some reason. Interesting. All right. The, the next the, one, the and I, Paladins. I went down the rabbit hole on this one, so I've got a lot on this aside from what happened on this day, because uh, this blew my mind. Clark, do you know who Spiro Agnew is? I know the name. Yeah, I did too. He was Nixon's vice president who notoriously had to resign a year before Nixon did over corruption and bribery allegations. But on this day in 1971, he played the Bob, at the Bob Hope Classic. And he, on the tee box, he sprayed two tee shots into the crowd, injuring three people. And just to lay this out for you, after I saw it, I had to look it up and see what happened. So, again, it happened at the Bob Hope Classic. He's in a pairing with Bob Hope, Willie Mays, and a pro golfer named Doug Sanders. He lines up for his tee shot and just totally toes it into the gallery, standing there watching. Hits a husband and wife and injures them, but I guess they're okay. They go over, they bring these people back up, they make sure they're all right. He goes back to the tee box lines it up to go again and he sprays it right back into the gallery again injuring a woman that time you got to take him off the course at that point (laughs) yeah they let him finish they let him finish and then i did a little more research turns out the year before the pro he was playing with doug sanders apparently he gets paired with him every year because he played the year before and in a shot from the fairway he sprayed an errant shot and hit doug in the back of the head (laughs) <laughs> with his approach shot from the fairway. This guy was a danger to society in more ways than one. And it's kind of fun. I, I was laughing hard because I've always, as a fan of golf, watched and wondered, what would it look like if I got up on that tee box with a gallery going down both sides? This is what it would look like. <laughs> Somebody would get badly injured. Uh, so I loved, I loved that one. So um, did you see the clip recently of Tom Brady just completely topping a ball? Off the tee, 
So really? Tom, no, Tom, I didn't. Tom Brady is a good golfer. Completely topped it, man. It was bad. And mm. what made it worse was Tom Brady didn't play it off. Like he wasn't like, uh, like, I mean, you know how you're going to play off that and just be like, oh, we, we got mulligans, right? Like just some corny dad joke that you'd expect Brady to say. Brady like is furious and like he he's not saying anything. He's like clenching his jaw. He's got his eyebrows like tight. He's like really upset about it. And it kind of like made it even more awkward because you're yeah. like, wow, he's really ashamed of this. <laughs> Golly, I'm sure, man. He's a really, really good golfer. I mean, in shorts, he's been in a couple of the duels that have been on TV and played pretty well, I thought. But yeah, that's funny. Um, so, yeah, I got a few more here. Mostly all-star and Super Bowl related. Uh, well, actually, all all-star and Super Bowl related. Uh, 1977, the 27th NBA All-Star Game. The West beats the East 125 to 124. And the MVP, could you take a shot? So, actually, the MVP got awarded to a guy from the East. So, a guy from the East, can you guess who it might have been that won the MVP, Clark? 1977 from the East? Yep. Moses Malone. Oh, it's a great guess, actually. A former teammate of his. Dr. J. Okay. Wins it in his first season in the NBA. He, he moved over from the ABA to the NBA in 76. This was the 76-77 season. Uh, hell of a first year. Made the All-Star team, won the All-Star game MVP, and then took the Sixers to the final, finals before they lost to Bill Walton and the Blazers in his first season in the NBA. Um. 1994, the 44th NBA All-Star Game. The East beats the West, 127 to 118. Any shot at the MVP from the 1994 game? This is one I remember watching. So, I think I even remember this these. I think I remember these uniforms. Um, <laughs> I, know, I, think I weirdly remember it too. Yeah. So you said it's tough. So that's a big clue if it's difficult. That means you're basically saying it's not Magic or Jordan. That's pretty much all I'm saying, yeah. Uh, from the East, though. I'll give you that. From the East, 1994. <sighs> Grant Hill's not in the league yet. Mm-mm, he was in the next year, I think. Or it might have been this year. Yeah, I think it was 93 that he came 94 in. was the game. Arkansas Duke National Championship that Grant Hill was in. Yeah, okay. If I, if I remember correctly. I don't know. Yeah. Who is it? It is Scotty Pippen. Wow. So if you remember, this is the year that Jordan retired. This is the first year of his retirement. So this was Scotty's year of being the alpha. And he went and showed out. He had like 29 points, 11 boards, five steals in the All-Stars game. Uh, 2000, one more All-Star game. It's the 49th NBA All-Star game. The West beats the East. 137 to 127. Any guess? I mean, I got to guess Kobe. Uh, that's a decent guess. I mean, this was early in his career. Um, it was it was only the second time ever the MVP award was split. Do you remember it being split in 2000? I did not, no. Tim Duncan and Shaquille O'Neal. See, that actually shocks me that 
those two would that would never happen in today's day and age where the big fundamental and the big chamber and easy are <laughs> yeah. splitting MVP and the all-star game. The all-star yeah. game now is only like for the freak athletes. Like right. Dirk never, ever got minutes in the all-star game. Luca never, yeah. ever gets minutes in the all-star game. Like if you can't fly or soar, like they're not giving you a ball. Nobody wants to see you. And I think Tim Duncan and right. Shaq fit that perfectly. So you can, it just shows how much the game's changed. Yeah. It's actually only the the first. It was one of two times that Shaq split the All Star Game MVP. The second was in two thousand nine with Kobe. Actually, so one more trivia question for you: Do you know what Sha- team Shaq was on at that point? Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. So, I actually went to. I went and saw LeBron James play. I believe I saw him in two thousand nine. It may have been two thousand ten. And Shaq was his teammate, so I'm going to say the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's a good guess. Uh, it was a year before he went to the Cavs. Uh, he was on the Phoenix Suns. Okay. Shaq's bit, end of his he, career the big was cactus. such. Uh, yeah, the big cactus. Exactly. His his the end of his career was kind of a mess. He was all right on Phoenix, but man, those stints with the Cavs and Celtics. Yeah. Were kind of sad, honestly. I wish he would have just gone out. Uh, Could you imagine though, like, if Shaq just decided that, Hey, today I'm going to win the all-star MVP. Like he absolutely gets it because nobody's putting their body on the line to guard nah. Shaquille O'Neal in an all-star game. Nah. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. My favorite parts of the all-star games he was in was when he decided he was going to run point. Yeah. Take it oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's like, can you imagine him running full force down the court at you? You just get out of the way. <laughs> get completely out of the way. That's worse yeah. than Giannis. Yeah. And my last one here from 2022, Super Bowl 56. The Rams beat the Bengals 23-20. to 20. Of course, the MVP. I know you know that one. It's Cooper Cup. Yep, because it couldn't be and Matt Stafford because he threw two picks. But <laughs> nobody's going to yeah. remember that. Yeah, I thought I was going to set you up on a tee there for a chance to take a shot. But, yeah, but yeah, that's it for this day in sports. I like it. Um, that's weird we've done so many of these episodes now that not hearing james do that is i know i'm telling you new respect for him on doing that i'm so curious like i don't want him to go through it and tell me what he would have picked out a lot of cricket in there i mean he has to do some work sifting through that shit <laughs> and, and seeing what might hit there was some figure skating in there dorothy hamill winning a gold medal i didn't know if that would hit or not <laughs> but there's also like some strategy to it like you gotta say yeah. something that not only is yeah. interesting but like would my two co-hosts like have any response to this or would they just right. be silent and we just have to <laughs> yeah. keep the train moving? Keep it moving. Cause right. like we try to, we try mm. to say an opinion about this stuff and 94% of the time we are just completely wrong or completely just like, wait, is that <laughs> like making fools of ourselves? That's why we had to yeah. just stop doing errors on this show because we'd have just yeah. done the first 10 minutes of the show errors on this day in sports every time. Uh, but uh, yeah, no. James, uh, <laughs> it's more more difficult than it seems mm-hmm. yep that's it all right well you can also take james's role in this as well uh that has been our show for tonight uh, i don't know when we're going to see you next um i think we're going to have two podcasts next week um don't know when the next one's going to be released um we're going to have one on the normal schedule will probably be released wednesday morning if, if we get this interview lined up um, soon enough, we may push that out. 
Either way, you'll send alerts. You'll be able to find us. You know where to find us. Uh, this has been Steal Your Take. We'll see y'all later this week, next week, something like that. See ya. Been real, y'all.